0: Support for KQED podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union, in your best interest.
1: From KQED. Hi, this is Erica Cruz Guevara. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that this episode contains a description of gun violence. Just keep that in mind before you listen. Thanks. Brandon Lee is an environmental activist from San Francisco who was shot in the Philippines in August. And for the last six months, he's been recovering back home in the Sunset District. He remains paralyzed from the chest down and in search of affordable, disability-accessible housing in a city that's gotten way more expensive since he left for the Philippines in 2010.
2: I miss the location, the mountains, the rivers, the people there.
1: Brandon Lee's family has received no update on an investigation into what's believed to be the first extrajudicial assassination attempt of a U.S. citizen under the presidency of Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte. Today, we'll revisit the story of how Brandon Lee became an activist in the Philippines, and we'll also hear from him in his own words. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Welcome to The Bay.
0: Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works springing from Cartoon, The News, and Human Connection. Downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with Instant Pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union, in your best interest.
3: Brandon has been an activist, I think, since he was in college. Faye
1: Lakhanilao has been friends with Brandon since about 2008. They met at San Francisco State University as part of a group called the League of Filipino Students. We spoke with Faye back in August of 2019, and at the end of this episode, you'll hear a conversation with Brandon that we recorded on Tuesday
3: afternoon. LFS was really about asking that question of, like, if the Philippines is so rich and wealthy in resources, and why are the Filipino people so poor? When I joined, Brandon was one of the people that I met, and I thought he was Filipino. It took me so long to learn that he was actually Chinese-American from the sunset. Um, That's really how we really got to know each other and bonded over that, but also Backstreet Boys and Harry Potter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When did he sort of start his activism? Like, what was the thing that got him going Especially around, like, Filipino issues. I'm really curious about that.
3: I was curious, too. I was like, why are you really into this stuff? The way I remember him talking about it was really his first um, exposure trip to the Philippines. I think his first one was in 2007, I believe. And he went with our good friend Lyle and Princess. LFS members on exposure trips spend a month in the Philippines
1: working with local farmers, workers and organizers fighting for social change in the Philippines.
3: The students learn how
1: to support Filipinos in the homeland from the United
3: States. That was also like where he fell in love. It was during that time he met his like now wife around that exposure trip. When he visited the Ifugao communities, he learned about what Landis life really looked like day to day for those communities. Mm. I think it was for him also just growing up as like a working class San Francisco kid who um, was trying to understand why like things were unfair and things like were set up the way it was. And he learned that in LFS. A lot of what LFS
1: does is try to focus on understanding the connections between Filipinos here and Filipinos in the homeland and sort of trying to draw this line between the fight for liberation of Filipinos in both countries. And it sounds
3: like that's what Brandon was doing. Brandon is an example that I give. He's an internationalist in that he supports our liberation in the Philippines because he knows it is connected to the liberation of all oppressed peoples all over the world. Brandon moved to the Philippines in 2010.
1: That was the year that 196 people were charged in what the Human Rights Watch called the worst politically motivated violence in the Philippines in recent memory. Among them was a former provincial governor and ally of then-president Gloria Macapagal Arroyo. But Brandon wanted to move to the Philippines because he was going to be a father.
3: He learned that he was going to have a baby with Bernice and like, you know, it's a trip because instead of like petitioning them to come here, he was like, no, I think I want to be there with them. And he was like, why would I uproot my family there when actually more of us are needed there? So that's why he moved.
1: Brandon was labeled an enemy of the state by the Philippine government in 2015 for his activism. What made him a target of the Philippine government? What kind of work was he
3: doing? Yeah, so he currently, from what I understand, um, is in the Ifogao peasant movement. He's part of the Cordillera Human Rights Alliance. He also writes for the Northern Dispatch.
2: Hello, my name is Brandon Lee. Um, I'm a volunteer at the Ifugao peasant movement in right Eden. Um, for us, uh, we have been harassed, intimidated threatened um, with death threats, vilified red tag, um, under surveillance constantly um, since 2010. Um, this has a lot, a lot of it has... To He's do doing a lot of
3: anti-mining work um, and also being critical of the Anti-Mining Act that allows foreign corporations to keep mining sort of like endlessly in the Philippines.
2: A lot of it has to do with... Um, Us defending the land, life, and resources of indigenous peoples here in Ifuga.
3: There's so many riches in It's like oozing out of the lands that they're on, especially in Ifugao and in the Cordilleras. Like, you can find all kinds of minerals there. And so the mining that's been happening in the Philippines actually has been really bad on the people living there in that it displaces them from their homes, but also bad for the environment. And even in the south, there were, like, mountains that were flattened down, and they rake it so they can make sand for resorts or, like, bring it as gravel for concrete. Can you tell me, like
1: a little bit about the political climate that is creating a situation where it is dangerous to be an activist. And in some ways, it's kind of always been that way. There's a long history of that in the Philippines.
3: Right. It's been, yeah, happening ever since, God, like the Philippine-American War. The struggle in the Philippines and the movement that Brandon and I are a part of, called the National Democratic Movement, really tackles this question of genuine liberation for the Filipino people, meaning removed from foreign power and foreign influence. The president right now, President Rodrigo Duterte, he was elected because he seemed promising during his run that that was what he was going to do.
2: I am a president of a sovereign state, and we have long ceased to be a colony.
3: He even prided himself in having good relations with the Communist Party of the Philippines and the National Democratic Front of the Philippines, who are like on the left side.
2: To achieve long and lasting peace, Duterte also vows to resume peace talks with all rebel groups to heal the wounds that have fractured the nation for so
0: long.
3: Quickly, a year in, in his presidency, he flipped and turned. He's like, I don't want to work with them anymore. Peace talks are BS.
0: He has recently also said that human rights advocates who speak out in defense of rule of law and in defense of constitutional guarantees to rights, uh, to to suspects' rights, should also be targets.
3: He is, like, blatantly fascist and is very clear about attacking anyone who counters him.
1: What can you tell me about... um
3: how he got shot and sort of what he was doing that that day. It was around the afternoon 5 o'clock to 6 and he was picking up his daughter from school and had just dropped her off and he was shot multiple times in front of his house um, and he was hit four times in the back one of it went through his elbow one went through his jaw and one went through his nose. Hmm. He... He's fighting through it, you know, like he's had multiple cardiac arrests during this operations to remove the bullet, but he is fighting through. I think it's because he knows that it's like his job is not finished, you know.
1: Brandon comes from a city that has a very deep history of activism (sighs) and, um, including and especially within the Filipino community here. Mm -hmm. Like you have the history of the I-Hotel and the Soma and the Manong's fighting for that. Then you have organizations like League of Filipino Students at San Francisco State. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of, I I feel like it really speaks to sort of like the Filipino presence here in San Francisco and how it's intertwined with the activism of it.
3: Oh, totally. I mean, I think it's because this is one of the ports where Filipinos immigrate to um, when we leave the Philippines. One of the bigger fights that Filipino communities here face in San Francisco, I mean, everyone's experiencing displacement, but the Filipino folks have been experiencing that since I Hotel, And it's a struggle for like, and still continues to be a struggle of like staying here and having a life here because we contribute so much here. Um I mean that's one of the things that I still carry now. I mean I I work with the Filipino Community Center still, and in the Excelsior, I try to advocate for um, anti-displacement and anti-gentrification work. I just went to a rally yesterday, actually, for this new high-rise they're trying to build in the Excelsior. Sometimes it feels like a really far stretch of like a connection to what Brandon is doing, but when I realize that these high rises that push our people out will not be made if it wasn't for the nickel that they need for alloy or the gravel that they need to construct these high rises if it wasn't for these things these high rises wouldn't be pushing out any, pushing us out anyway but so in that it's like it's true to that land is life thing that Brandon taught me right in that he is there protecting ancestral domain so that mining and extracting these minerals that we need here in the first world will not happen. And he is out there getting his life, like, threatened doing that work. And we are out here pushing the same way and bringing it to light. As like, yo, like, we, we just want to live. So that's always been the struggle of Filipino people everywhere in the diaspora. That's what we have to always insist. It also shows, like, how
1: global the activist community is in, in the Bay Area, how it's so connected to the homeland.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's why they set up the whole of Market Filipino Cultural Heritage District. I mean, not just so it looks cute with all of the Filipino furniture designs, but to really maintain the Filipinos that have been living here for so long, we're as integral to, Fili- to San Francisco history as any other communities here.
1: Can I have you uh, just introduce yourself?
2: Hi, my name is Brandon Lee. I was the former human rights officer for the Ifugao peasant movement. Um, I'm at home um, in the sunset.
1: And you came back to the Bay Area in, was it uh, September or October?
2: October, at the end of October.
1: I want to go back in time just a little bit. Um, If you could tell me about the day that you got back home to the sunset, I imagine um, it was a relief but also maybe really overwhelming. Can you tell me about that day?
2: Um, When I got back to living in the sunset, um, it was a little overwhelming because I haven't been back um, here for a long time. Yeah, I really um, miss the Philippines where I lived.
1: And you've been in the Philippines since 2010. You never went back home to visit San Francisco? Yeah. And remind me again what part of the Philippines you were in.
2: I was in Ifugao. That's the northern part of the Philippines in the Cordillera region.
1: What do you miss about it?
2: Um, I miss the family. I miss the... Location, the mountains, the rivers, the people there.
1: Um, What is your day-to-day life kind of like right now?
2: I wake up at 7, and I have a breathing treatment. And then um, my wife uh, feeds me, and I have my bowel program. And after that, uh, I get into the chair. Uh, It's around lunchtime. And from there, um, I can join Zoom conferences or uh, if I have downtime, I watch TV or go outside.
1: How are you doing health-wise, but also um, in coronavirus quarantine times?
2: Well, I was hospitalized recently with pneumonia. So during that time was when they uh, started the lockdown, when they started the shelter-in-place. Um, so I had some of my appointments canceled from Santa Clara when I was a uh, hospital.
1: Yeah, but it must have been a scary time to be going to the hospital right now.
2: Yeah, many COVID cases.
1: You held a press conference on Earth Day last Wednesday. Can you tell me a little bit about um why you did that and what you were hoping to communicate?
2: Uh, Yes, um, we wanted to express the thank yous uh, for those who contributed and those who send their thoughts and prayers. And also for um, my situation now, Uh, I'm looking for affordable ADA housing and um, also um, Want to express uh, the need to cut the U.S. funding to the Philippine government for all the um, human rights violations.
1: Is the housing search a little hard or extra hard right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh,
2: Actually, this is my first time searching, but um, it's been difficult um, through the DALIA program here in the city. Um, I'm ranked around 5,000 in some of the searches. So it's been hard.
1: Yeah. And that's um, the housing lottery, right, for uh, low-income housing? Yeah. One last question for you, Brandon. Um, Why is it so important to you that people here in the Bay Area, um, which of course has a ton of Filipinos, a bunch of Filipino-Americans, that they know and care about what's going on in the Philippines right now.
2: It's important for us to be connected because um, there are people here who uh, don't know what's happening in the Philippines, um, that they know that it's not right, uh, what the Philippine government is doing to its people.
1: Brandon, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Erica.
1: In September, Brandon's family asked the Philippine Commission on Human Rights, an independent office that investigates human rights abuses in the Philippines, to investigate Brandon's shooting. They say they were told an investigation would be conducted and that they'd get a copy of it, but they haven't heard back since.
2: Uh, It's pretty clear was responsible but um we don't know the names of the assailants but we know that um, the Philippine government through the Philippine army has been targeting um, me and my organization.
1: Faye Lakanilao and Brandon Lee are activists based in San Francisco. This episode of The Bay was produced by Devin Karayama, Alan Montecilio, and Erica Aguilar. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Devin Karayama will be back on Friday with a special episode in collaboration with our sister podcast, Be Curious. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you all next time. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice, fulfill his oath